Welcome to the Men's Divorce Podcast, presented by the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell, a partner men can count on. Now, here's your host, managing partner and CEO of Cordell & Cordell, Scott Trout. Well, welcome to the Cordell & Cordell uh, four-part series that we will be having over the next uh, multiple weeks as we just really dive deep into the area of divorce and the questions guys have often about whether it's before, during, or after divorce. And so today, uh, what do we want to do is talk a little bit about what we do when we've been facing the proposition or prospect of divorce and your wife comes to you and says, look, I'm thinking about divorce. And so the question becomes, facing divorce, now what? We thought it was a really good place for us to start and uh, go through some of the ideas, the tips and uh, the tricks that we can give uh, to guys out there that are facing divorce. Uh, I'm Scott Trout, CEO and managing partner of the law firm of Cordell & Cordell. Glad you could uh, join and listen uh, to this first part of our four-part series. And today I'm joined by an attorney with a law firm of Cordell & Cordell, Drew Williams. Drew, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yes, Scott. Thanks for having me here today. I'm an attorney. I've been practicing for about, for almost five years, exclusively in the area of family law for all those five years. And where I want to start this this conversation and, and coming from the point of, okay, your wife has approached you and has mentioned that she's either filing for divorce or will be meeting with attorney. What what to do? What what do you do at that point? And I think the the main idea is preparation. Okay, so the first step is you're going to want to hire an attorney and. When you go online and you Google divorce attorneys, you have a couple different options. One of the, the main pieces of advice that I would recommend is to find an attorney that does specialize in family law, that they exclusively practice family law. Not to say that attorneys that dabble in a little bit of this or a little bit of that don't do a good job because plenty of them do. However, there are just so many nuances in the practice of family law, and you're going to want to get someone who's up to date with the law, up to date with what's going on at the courthouses with the judges, and you're going to get the best experience going through the process with someone who does this each and every single day. So you talk about focus on family law. It's similar to what we do, which we do exclusively. Correct. Um, and when I'm around the country and I'm talking to guys, uh, we talk often about the 10 mistakes guys make when facing divorce, and one of them is not picking the right lawyer. And uh, so when they're they're looking for that person, you say focuses on it. Um, how do they find that out? What are they looking for? I would say first place is to check out an attorney's website. They're usually going to have a place on the website where they will go through their areas of practice. So in, in the realm, when we say family law, this is paternity cases, divorces, modifications. Sometimes uh, attorneys in family law will, will dabble in, in juvenile work. But those are the main areas of, of, of law that family law practitioners concentrate on. Um and like I said, when, when, you, when you're going through the process, it's going to be best for you to have someone who is specializing in those areas, who spends the majority or all of their days focusing on mm-hmm. those areas of laws. Yeah, I, I, I agree totally. It's like uh, we were just talking before we began our segment this morning or this afternoon, and that is I get a diagnosis. You know, for, I, I'm often, if you hear me speak, I often relate our practice and lawyers uh, to medicine, and that is if I get a diagnosis from my doctor. Uh, and he said, look, you know, it's my general. Uh, I need you to go to a phlebotomist, right? Whatever it may be, uh, it's kind of a particular segment where you want to go to the, the one person who can serve your interests the best. And that, you know, again, as you suggest, Drew, it's not, 
picking apart the the attorney that does a little bit of everything because they're really really good I'm sure but the point is is when you've got a problem you want to get it focused and and everything's on the line you want to go to the person that does it all the time similar to what we do which is a hundred percent of what we do uh, and so if you get a diagnosis of cancer while your general practitioner may have great ideas and good experience may have dealt with the issue before you're going to go to an oncologist why because that's all they do so when you've got everything on the line uh, money, property, your kids, everything you worked hard for, you want to make sure that that person's equipped. And so, Drew, when you're looking for them, um, I presume you're going to kind of create some questions. So what do you think, if I'm going to interview you, what would be the questions um, you would think I would ask you to determine whether or not this is something that you focus on? Of course. So ask about the attorney's experience, what what type of business walks under there the most. And we're coming into these consultations, you know, what, what I think is the most important thing is to determine what's going to be the most important thing to you. What questions are you going to be able to bring to the attorney to get the most out of, out of your experience? Um, everyone's situation is going to be different with the different fact patterns, what's going on in their lives, whether they have children, what their marital estate looks like. And based on those things, which will be unique to each individual, you're going to want to come up with questions that are important to you. Um, So for example, if you have children, you will want to ask questions with how the process works as far as control over who has the children, a parenting plan, um, how support works, property division. All these types of questions are going to be relevant. And when you're talking about divorce in particular, there are really three main areas of, of law that most issues fall under, and that's going to be property division, child custody, and support. And under the umbrella of support, both child support and spousal support in some situations. So thinking of, of those three areas and, and how they are relevant to your life and your family is going to be mm-hmm. a great starting point. Trial. Um, a lot of attorneys, in my experience, tend to push their clients to the collaborative way or mediation uh, and try and get it settled because they'll, from the very onset, say to, to, to clients, look, you should never try your case. Is that something you think it's important is to ask about their trial experience, uh, their position on trial, whether or not they think that it's something that's important? And the reason I ask is because, as you know, our philosophy at Cordell and Cordell is that good settlements come through good trial preparation. Sure. And, and we just hire great litigators. And not that we force every case to trial, but the point being is that if it needs to be tried because the offer on the table is the worst case scenario, then why wouldn't you try it? So is that, you think, equally important to make sure guys out there go to the prospective attorney and say, hey, what's your philosophy on trial? Is it something that you feel that's important that you be prepared to do? Do you think it's important? I think that's an extremely important question. There are some attorneys out there, and we all kind of know them, that won't try a case. And they develop a certain reputation around the courthouses. And I think it's important to have an attorney that you're confident can go to trial in the event you're not able to come to some amicable resolution, which is always the goal. Um, However, there are times when you're going to need someone that can dig in and and not be afraid to take it to the trial, which is ultimately going to be at the end of the case. There are sort of many trials as the case progresses. But just knowing and having the confidence in your attorney that he or she is going to be able to go into a courtroom and represent you and confidently represent you and do a great job at that is something that pays dividends throughout your entire case. Attorneys out there, they either charge for a consult or they don't. Should Mm -hmm. should guys be afraid to avoid or should they be avoiding the ones that charge a consult or is there a reason for that? There's definitely a reason for charging 
for initial consultation. Mm-hmm. A lot of attorneys that are good, they develop a, a lot of business, right? And their time is valuable. That's what us attorneys do. We don't have widgets that we're selling. We have our time. And so you shouldn't be shying away from an attorney who may charge a, an mm-hmm. initial fee for the consultation. You're going to know that to that attorney, he or she knows that you are you have a lot of value in the time that you're spending with him or her. Yep. And they're going to try to give you as much information as you can as, as he or she can give you in that initial consultation. And that gets back to, to coming in and being prepared mm-hmm. with what is going to be important to you to get out of that consultation. Now, yeah. many attorneys can, can drive the initial meeting and they've done it many, many times. They kind of know different areas they can hit. But being able as, as a prospective client to come into the meeting and to sit across from a, a man or woman who may be representing you in this case and say, hey, these are, this is what's on my mind. These are the things that are important to me, and I want to get your opinion on them. Yeah. I want to ask these questions. You know, I don't know anything about the law as it relates to my divorce or my paternity case, and I want your help, and I'd like for your assistance. Yeah, it's a great point because we were mentioning, obviously, before uh, coming on the air, is that is you don't go into war without being prepared. Uh, you, you talk about strategy. You prepare, uh, whatever it may be. You just get ready for that appointment, and it's, it's like the old adage, you know, divorce, you know, how do you eat an elephant? You know, the divorce is really the elephant. It's such a huge monstrosity in the room. Well, you don't, you eat it one bite at a time. And, and too often guys want to just take one bite and try to eat the whole elephant. It's overwhelming. But uh, the big question always is, well, you know, how much am I going to spend? And this is crazy. Uh, and as we talk about pre-meeting strategy, and that is a good way to drive down some of the costs, some of the expense is to be prepared, as you suggest. So as guys get ready, make the assumption they've made their selection. This is the attorney I want to go meet with. Maybe it's not the attorney I retain, but what should they be doing pre-meeting to make the, the $200 they spend the most useful, best 200 bucks they've ever spent in a consult? For example, you know, coming to our office, what would they do? What would you want them to do to try to save time? And that way they're driving the meeting and not let the attorney just feed them information. Sure. The, the two main things that come to mind is to gather information and documentation. So, for example, if you have children, you're going to want to start to think about what type of parenting responsibilities that you have been participating in during the marriage and, and, and in the recent uh, you know, few months time frame as well. Uh, maybe start to jot down in a bullet point or narrative fashion, you know, what your involvement has been and, and kind of how the, how you and, and you and your significant other have been divvying up parental responsibilities. You're also going to want to begin to make a, a spreadsheet or some sort of accounting of your marital estate. So your assets, your debt. For example, in many counties, you're going to be required to fill out financial statements here in the main county that I practice, St. Louis County, we have a statement of property and debt. And on that statement, you are required to list things such as your house, your bank accounts, your retirement accounts, your investment accounts. And so beginning to get those, that information together, as well as documentation of that information is going to be very helpful to your attorney and and he or she will be able to look at the documents and start to really give you some applicable uh, tips or start to really develop a strategy for which way your case is going to go based off that information. So are the forms, we refer to them as income and expense statement of property, what do you earn, what do you spend, what do you have? Whether it's Missouri, Illinois, Georgia, Hawaii, Idaho, Illinois, wherever it is, 
Are those forms available online typically where they can go down, go to the, you know, go to the courthouse website, pull them off and start filling them out in advance of that meeting? And is that something you would recommend? Certainly. Yes. You should be able to go on whatever county you live in, wherever, whatever uh, courthouse that you would be filing for your divorce in. You should go, you should be able to go to that website and find these forms. Um, like I said, in our county, the two forms are statement mm-hmm. of income and expense and the statement of property and debt. And if I'm meeting with a client for the first time and he or she walks in with these statements filled out, I'm impressed. Yeah. It doesn't right. happen all the time. Right. And, and I, and I can't emphasize how beneficial that's going to be um, to get the most out of our time together. Yeah. Yeah, because most of the time guys come in and uh, they don't know what to do, obviously. And that's why I think part one today is so important for guys out there listening is, you know, you may not be immediately on the precipice of a divorce. Your wife may be hinting at it. You may be thinking this is the direction we're going. But, you know, now's the time to begin preparing and things like that really do facilitate a really good conversation because oftentimes I have a guy come in. Uh, and they try to remember everything that they have, but I can't give them a really good recommendation and full picture, uh, whether if it's a spousal support claim, maintenance, alimony, you know, because the amount of assets matter because it, it depends on the court and what happens. And But a guy comes in fully prepared, as you suggest, it really does make that 200 bucks probably a much more useful period where you can, for the most part, go through everything and start talking about the assets and talking about what the recommendations would be and what ultimately is your best and worst case scenario under certain circumstances. It's not perfect because you only have you know 60 minutes to get facts. But again, as guys think about preparing uh, in advance for that meeting, I think that schedule of property, that schedule of income, even talk about bringing pay stubs. I mean, sure. I think tax returns, um, I think those are, are invaluable so that you can get a really clear picture of income because, you know, if I get asked, hey, what do you make? Well, you know, most guys, maybe like me, will just say what your base salary is. And you, you tend to think that's what I make. You're not thinking about perhaps uh, benefits. It could be you could get a car allowance. You could be making a bonus. You could be getting something extra that somehow pops uh, on your W-2 or you have a side job and or you have rental property. And so I think... It, to me, and, and Drew, you can comment on it, tax sure. returns and pay subs, don't you think those are vital to analyze as we'll talk a little bit about child support and spousal support? Absolutely. As far as documentation, as, as Scott mentioned, tax returns are going to be something you're going to want to bring in. There's so much information as an attorney I can get off those tax returns to, to learn more about you, your spouse, and your family. Um, another kind of rule of thumb as far as other documents, you know, last three months of, of bank statements are a, the most recent statement from any of your retirement or investment accounts. All those things are going to be very helpful. When we go to fill out the financial statements, in particular the statement of property and debt, which you're going to likely need to do at some point, having those doc- those documents already is going to make the process that much quicker. Yeah. And so thinking along the, the line of documents, um, evidence. So you know, we're, we talk a lot about, oh, tax returns, pay stubs, 401k statements. What about uh, evidence gathering, emails, photos, social media things, things that may or may not help their case? Because obviously, in some states, misconduct matters. In some states, it is irrelevant. So whether you're a guy out there listening, if you can gather it, do you th- find it useful in that conversation on whether or not that's important to bring in some of the evidence that they can or can't get? Yes, if you have certain documents such as text messages, mm-hmm. emails, photographs in some situations, all of those things are going to be beneficial to bring into your attorney so that person can start to get a 
clear picture of what's going on in your case. And again, it's it's fact intensive based on what's going on with yourself and your family. If you yeah. have children and you you believe you may be getting into some sort of, of custody battle with your spouse, all of those documents are likely going to come up at some point in the case. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if by this point in the process, you haven't already started to, you know, take note of your communication, your correspondence with your spouse, now would be a great time to do so. Because, like I just mentioned, these documents are going to come up in the case, in, in certain types of cases, such as custody battles. So, yeah. you know, for example, when, when you're emailing, um, you know, you can go through emails from the past and, and, and bring them to your attorney's attention and he'll be able to, he or she will be able to help you determine if this is going to be something that is relevant to your case. Mm-hmm. But going forward also, if you do have concerns with, you know, the way that you communicate with your spouse or he or she communicates with you, um, that's something that you should talk to your attorney about, you know, best ways to communicate with your spouse while you're going through this process and to do so in such a way that is not going to negatively affect you in the long run. Right. And it's interesting we talk about bringing in some of the evidence. One of the things that that came to mind as you were talking about that was the relationship I I often discuss and I've already mentioned it about uh, comparing uh, doctors, medicine to law and lawyers. And that is one of the best recommendations that we can probably make today to guys sitting out here listening. That is when you're sitting down with your lawyer, be open, truthful, forward, and honest. Sure. the difference between and you, if you've heard my ten stupidest mistakes guys make, um, it's not being direct with your lawyer. And there's a really odd relationship between and comparing lawyers and doctors. My friend, who's a doctor and physician, I had this conversation with him, and I said, "Have you ever had an opportunity where your patient has come to you and lied about their condition?" And the answer was resoundingly no. And he said he laughed. He said, "In fact, I get more detail." about something that they're experiencing uh, that's unrelated to their condition than you ever want. Like, you know, they come in for their leg issue and they also mention, oh, my, I have a runny nose. And it's kind of, it's funny because those two things probably aren't related. But I, and I, I kind of lamented, I said, well, gosh, I'll get a client that comes into me and withholds information and doesn't tell me the full story. And the reason is a lot of the facts in family law they're sensitive in nature. They're embarrassed. Perhaps they're at fault. They don't want to talk about the conditions, the issues, the facts, the behavior that led to their divorce. And so you get this just unusual dynamic where your clients may not be giving it all the information to you. And so maybe you can speak to that a little bit about how important it is because I've always said that even the smallest of facts sometimes can turn into the best evidence or uh, especially if you have some misconduct on your side – you shouldn't be afraid to share it because we want to know all the things. Because one of the questions I ask guys, what's the worst thing that your spouse is going to say about you and your behavior right. during a marriage? So what do you think? Yeah, so it's part of our job to know what is relevant to your case. And so that being said, it's important to divulge all the facts, positive and negative. One, one question I, I frequently ask clients when I'm meeting them for the first time and, and maybe towards the end of the conversation, I say, so you know, your, your, your wife is sitting across from her attorney and they're talking about this custody battle. What is she telling him or her? Mm-hmm. What, what are the, the facts that maybe we haven't gotten to during this conversation that I'm going to come across either in discovery or in the courtroom that are going to be important for us to know and develop a strategy for how to address? Mm-hmm. And it's amazing the, the, the facts that frequently do get left out of the normal run of communication. Um, so it, it is very important. Like I said, if, if you don't bring them up to your attorney, 
they're, they may come out at some point, and it's definitely going to be better for your attorney to be prepared to properly address mm-hmm. those at that time, or better yet, even before they do come out. Yeah. Um, the, how, how attorneys work, how we do our job is based on the facts. You know, yep. We don't know the facts. We get them from our clients. Right. And without those facts, we're powerless. And you don't want to discover those facts <laughs> later on in the day, right? When right. it's probably too late, when right. the other side already has something on you. Right. And it is. It's so, I always like it. And so if a client were to, or a patient were to call their doctor and say, you know, I need to make an appointment. My left leg is bothering me. They get to the appointment. They would never say it's my right leg, knowing it's their left leg. Mm-hmm. But we get that in family law. And it's just, it's a, an odd dynamic. And I think I preach it every time I'm in seminars about, you know, just tell me everything. Right. And, you know, record it. I'm a big fan of diaries and keeping kind of a day in the life type of thing. And those little pieces of evidence, they're gems sitting in there that I can use. As you think about um, preparing again and, and being forthright and, and truthful and direct, um, one of the things I made a note of, because all too often, I don't know if I hear lawyers saying that and, and starting out perhaps a conversation of what's your goals? Do you sure. think goal setting is important? It's extremely important. Again, getting back to how you are going to get the most value from the process and your relationship with your attorney. So if you're able to come in and you know where you want to go in the case, long run and short term, it's going to give your attorney something to sort of aim at. And the important part, like I just mentioned, is you need to think long term and short term. So for example, what, what you want to do with the house, do you want to stay in the house? Do you want to be out of the house? What you want the custody schedule with your kids to be immediately? Um, there are certain things that we can file with the court that are going to help to provide some structure while the case is going on. And having these landmarks during the case, mm-hmm. during the process is going to, A, like I mentioned, give your attorney something to shoot for and also make the whole process more palatable for you, yeah. right? Right. It's like being in school. It's You could go to school forever sure. because if your goal is just to be in school and you can never get a degree because your, your goal is just to be in school or you can say, look, I want a goal to be a nurse. And so you, there are steps to take to get there. And so goals, right? Uh, it, and I think that's huge. And, and talk about not only goals, but at the end game, but parenting plans. And what do you envision in a perfect scenario what custody would look like for you? And sometimes guys haven't thought about that. Um, and now is the time to be thinking about in the end, whether is it you want primary, meaning do you want most of the time? Do you want half the time? Do you want less than half the time? Because every guy is different. Um, that is, again, as you suggest repeatedly, coming to those meetings with something in mind. It may not be ultimately what happens in a custody plan, but it st- certainly spurs a conversation where you, Brew, would tell me, okay, I like it, but based on the facts, I'm not certain that you can get there. You have to tell me something else. I would be like a guy who has been the primary breadwinner. Mom is a good mom, no issues. And the guy says, I want 100% of the time. You would tell me, not going to happen. Part of our job is to provide some perspective based on our experience, right. based on you know the facts and how we know that the they may apply to the law. Right? Yeah. And so sometimes people do come in with these ideas that are... Are, are unlikely to happen. And so it's going to be important that's going to be a straight shirt with you and let yeah. you know, okay, this this maybe is, is something that I understand it's important to you, but in your case, it's going to be difficult to achieve that. Yeah, tough conversation sometimes. But I mean, again, you want uh, the truth. You want to hear right. solid advice from the client. I want to hear what's possible and what's not. Um, I don't want to hear, you know, I don't want you to sugarcoat it, um, but I also want you to develop a strategy for me. Because one of the things I think I should demand from this meeting is at least at least a path forward, right? Whether it's, you know, a, a plan, a roadmap, how to get from point A to point Z. And it may be that we want to put together a plan 
point A to C. You know, let's take it in small steps. Uh, so I just think, again, preparing and, and asking those questions um, of, of the attorney, like, what do you suggest? What is the plan that you would have for me? What do you suggest we do next? Rather than just you getting all the information on the law, really interview the attorney. It really is an interview of you, of me, of Drew and myself. You should be interviewing that attorney to make sure it's the best fit. Uh, as you would put your life in the hands of your oncologist or your cardiologist and you trust them with the decisions they make because oftentimes a doctor will say, here are your choices. And and I would say, well, what do you recommend? And sure. I'll go with what they recommend, right? Right, right? And so I think the same relationship should exist. And every time you're, you're talking to that attorney, um, ask them their strategy. Because I think not only the strategy you want as the client – but the strategy that the attorney, I think, is as important or more important, don't you think? Sure. All you know, getting back, and we kind of been dancing around it this whole time, but just building trust with your attorney, building up that relationship, knowing that he or she has your best interests at heart, and the information that he or she is giving you is for your benefit and to advance your case. Um, that, that that's so important. There's going to be times in your case where you're going to be at the courthouse and the attorneys may be in the back talking with the judge and you're going to want to know that you can trust your attorney, A, to represent you to his or her best ability and B, that he or she is going to give you advice based on how the case is proceeding that are in your best interest. Um, and and, and that, that's invaluable. I, I, I see so many times when we're at the courthouse and the hallways and, and it does seem like there are certain attorney-client relationships that maybe the trust isn't there yeah. and they're second-guessing and that does no one any good, neither right. the client nor the attorney. So, you know, she's told you she may want a divorce or you're thinking about it. Uh, now that we've talked a little bit about finding the right lawyer, what does a guy do out there uh, from a financial perspective to kind of prepare? Um, you know, there are things that they should be thinking about, right? Uh, the first one is, you know, a, a checking account and a savings account. If you're going to file or she's going to leave, what do you what do you think the guy should do with their checking and savings? I mean, in my mind, they have a few choices. What right. do you think they should do? So it's really fact intensive, um, based on a couple things: the the trust that you have with your spouse. If you think there is going to be anything improper that's going on, sometimes I do recommend. I say, hey, I have no issue with you removing a name from the account, uh, and, and the, the purpose behind doing that is to preserve the assets. So that being said, you can't be the one then dissipating the assets. That's that's a legal term for sort of. Uh, you spending the money frivolously. But if, if the purpose is to, hey, we have this money in these bank accounts and I am worried about where that money might go, mm-hmm. I have no issue with, with clients at times preserving that money. And if it's on the flip side and you're worried about not having money to take care of your needs in the mm-hmm. near future, absolutely no issues with taking money from a joint account for those needs. Again, you can't be the right. one who's using the money to do something improper. Right. Um, but Go to the uh, casino. <laughs> right. <laughs> Pull it all on uh, number five, black. <laughs> Some common sense type things, but I, I have no issue with that. So re- removing names from accounts, mm-hmm. again, to preserve assets, taking money out of accounts in order to uh, take care of yourself because yeah. the court process isn't always as fast as people would like, right? Yeah. As I mentioned before, there are certain um, things that happen while a case is proceeding. We are able to get in front of a judge and ask mm-hmm. for a certain relief, but those things all take time. Yeah. At times, it can be a month or so, a month or two months before we're able to get in and talk with the judge. And if we are uh, asking for, so there's a, a certain pleading, which I, I know you're mm-hmm. familiar with, uh, temporary support pleadings, right, mm-hmm. that you can file with the court. And, and the, the thing behind those pleadings are, it's going to take a little time to get 
assistance through the judge. So either you're going to take care of yourself up front or hopefully you and your spouse are going to be amicable and, and work things out. But that being said, as long as you're not the one frivolously spending the money and, yeah. and the, you have good motives behind mm-hmm. what you're doing to the accounts as far as removing removing names or removing money, I, I generally have no issue with that. And most of that, it, we talk about um, pre-filing. Because at post-filing, there's always, depending upon the county and the state and the courts that you're in, there may be some standing orders that prohibit right. you from doing something like that. But So I, I always, when I'm in around the country, uh, I give guys three choices. And I'll you know say, look, this is not legal advice, but this is factually kind of what I see. Guys have a choice of leaving it all there uh, and risking it that she does something with it, taking some of it. You know, when I say all, I'm talking about a checking account. Sure. Just say there's one checking account and has some money in it, or you can take half of it. So you can take all, half, none, or maybe some. So there are four choices. Um, it really is dependent upon the facts, as you suggest, who the breadwinner is, who's paying the bills. You know, I've met with a guy where the, the wife was the primary breadwinner and uh, she left him with no money. And she would give him just, you know, a trickle amount. And so our recommendation based on some of the things he needed was to take it all. Uh, now, there are a lot of things that factor into that. And so, and especially, you know, as we talk today and in this four-part series is don't take any action that we talk about today without consulting with your lawyer. Because this isn't legal advice. We just want to talk about generally generally what our experience is, you know, in our um, years of doing this and, and divorce. And, you know, I'm going into my, I think it's my 27th year uh, doing this. And, you know, I've seen a lot and we make recommendations like that. So the other thing, I, I what do you think about running a credit report? Just uh, for guys, see what's out there. See what credit cards have been open. See what's they may be unknown. Have you uh, heard of that? Yeah, I think it's a great idea. You're going to get an accurate list of all all the debts that you do have out there. Um, potentially, there are credit cards you didn't even know about. Right. Um, so if you're able to take that credit report to an attorney, that is going to be greatly beneficial. Again, getting back to the preparation, filling out documents that are required in some counties, and that's just going to make your attorney's job much easier. If you have all the document, all the information compiled in one place, and and, and like I mentioned, potentially discovering certain debts you didn't even know you had. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about the alternatives for divorce. So guys, you know, are overwhelmed with the prospect of of losing everything they have, including their spouse. What alternatives are there to just divorce? And, and I know it goes by state, but particularly since you're licensed in Missouri, talk sure. about that. So there's there's a bunch of options under the umbrella of alternative dispute resolution, um, and a couple of those options that we can talk about. The two main ones that come to mind are are mediation and the collaborative divorce process, um, and then there's a couple distinctions between those two. And again, it, it's going to really depend on the personalities involved as to whether I might recommend one of those options for any given situation. So. Mm-hmm. Mediation will start there. That is that is a, an alternative dispute resolution process whereby you and your spouse will meet with a third person, usually an attorney, and sometimes the two spouses are going to be there with their attorneys as well. And you're going to attempt to go through all the issues in your case and amicably come to a resolution. Uh, now, now, here in the state of Missouri, those mediations are, are non-binding. So there is a chance to leave the mediation and speak with your attorney and potentially um, 
not agree to something that you did agree while you're in the room. So again, it gets back to the personalities involved. If you think that you know the, it, there are there are issues that might make sense to be resolved through mediation, and you have the right personalities, where it's just not going to be a waste of your time and money, maybe it's something to think about. Yeah. The other option that I mentioned is the collaborative divorce process. And, it, and it, it's, some, it's something similar where depending on the size of your marital estate and the issues involved, you meet, uh, let's just say you meet at a, in a big conference room and you might have people such as accountants um, or whatever other professionals that might be needed to properly address the issues with the hope of ultimately coming out with a plan uh, moving forward in the case or maybe a resolution that everyone's going to be happy with. So with these alternatives, the next step is, and guys always say, well, okay, no one's filed. Does it matter if I file first? And, and some guys think there's a legal option or legal advantage. Some think there's a strategic advantage. Can you walk through with guys if there are any advantages to considering filing sure. first? So I'll give you my, my thoughts on this issue. As far as filing first, I think that in certain cases, there are definitely advantages. The most obvious advantage from an attorney's perspective is in the event there is a trial, you will be the one sort of setting the stage. So the person that files is known as the petitioner. And in any trial and any testimonial setting, the petitioner goes first. So as your attorney, I I would call you to the witness stand and we'd go through in question and answer form um, anything that we wanted to get into evidence at trial. And it, it's the first thing that the judge hears, right? So if you believe in the, the, the line of thought as far as primacy, um, it can be beneficial in that regard. Uh, we mentioned earlier in certain counties, there are certain sort of stay orders that get put into place when you file. So if, if, the, if the fact situation is such that it's going to be beneficial for us to file a case in order to sort of, what I'm going to say, freeze accounts so, so there's no, nothing that is improper that's, that, that occurs, that might be another consideration. Um, as, as a sort of counterpoint, and again, this all gets back to facts, you know, the, the person who files does go first. So maybe in some situations it's beneficial to have your spouse first put on testimony so you know what you're responding to. Um, it, it, it just gets back to what's going on in the case. Yeah. So the process, uh, many guys have never been through it before. Some are uh, frequent flyers as it relates to divorce, uh, but I would say the super majority have never done it. Mm-hmm. So in a nutshell, uh, really what is the process that happens when either the guy or or someone, their spouse, files for divorce. Can you sure. walk us through that? So you've already met with your attorney, and hopefully you've brought them all the documentation and information that we've been talking about today. So he or she is able to get your pleadings and your financial statements ready um, as, as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. After those pleadings are filed, they are going to be, well, after they are drafted, they're going to be filed with the court. Um, And you have a couple options at that point. You, well, the next step is service. You need to serve your spouse with those Mm -hmm. documents. So your options are either to have a process server, a sheriff serve your spouse, or potentially your spouse already has an attorney. He or she can accept service, or your spouse might just accept service in, in, in some other way. Once you're past service, um, then sort of the discovery phase of the the, the process begins. Now, mm-hmm. Well, I shouldn't say begins. That's been, the, how I like to approach cases. I'm, I, the discovery starts from the first minute I meet the client, mm-hmm. but formal discovery will, will start to begin. So there might be different documents in your case that are used to discover information in your case, such as uh, interrogatories, which are basically written questions or a request for production of documents. Um, at that point, point, 
depending on the facts of the case, some of these motions that we discussed in order to get some sort of temporary or immediate relief can be filed in the case. Uh, And issues that are encompassed there are temporary custody. If you and your spouse need some help uh, structuring who gets your kids on what days, Uh, if either of the parties needs some sort of uh, immediate support as far as maybe, uh, you know, maybe, maybe husband has moved out of the house um, and wife is saying, I need money for the mortgage, for utilities, et cetera. There could be some sort of court setting to address those issues. All the while, potentially there are settlement negotiations. I mean, a case can be settled really at any time. Um, and uh, in St. Louis County, where I practice, we have what's called a settlement conference that is usually, we'll say a month to, to two months into the case. And at that point, the attorneys meet with the judge and kind of go over what are the issues in the case? Okay, you know, what are the sticking points? Are there any areas that the judges can potentially give his or her opinion on that might help kind of move the case forward? Um, and, and in some cases, there might be a few of those types of settings as the case goes on. Mm-hmm. All the while, your attorney is doing this discovery and learning as much about the client and the other party, as well as the kids and whatever else is going on in the case. And in the event that there is no settlement, this is all going to accumulate in a trial setting. That's going to happen sometime on down the road, depending on how contested the case is and what the issues are. That's good stuff. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. In part one, Drew, thanks for uh, walking us through it. For guys out there that I know uh, struggle uh, with this and getting the information, I, I uh I know I found it useful, and I hope uh, guys out there did as well. Uh, I know if you're facing it, uh, you're thinking about it, uh, or maybe you're facing a divorce you don't even want, there's help out there. Uh, So you definitely can consult with a partner you can count on. So next time, I hope you join us for part two uh, of our four-part series coming up, which is my wife has filed, now what do I do? So kind of faced with you've met with your lawyer, you didn't take any action, but your wife did, so what do I do now? So if you need more information from what we talked about, because there's plenty out there, uh, you can go to our website at cordellcordell.com, dadsdivorce.com, mensdivorce.com, or if you want to set up a time to just talk and chat with us about what you need to do, how you need to prepare, you can give us a call at 866-DADS-LAW. Again, Drew, thanks for joining me. I appreciate uh, all the information and the helpful tips you gave to guys out there. And uh, we'll see you next time for part two of our four-part series. Thank you for listening to the Men's Divorce Podcast presented by Cordell & Cordell. To schedule your appointment with a Cordell & Cordell attorney, please visit CordellCordell.com or call us at 1-866-DADS-LAW. Also make sure to visit our partner websites, mensdivorce.com and dadsdivorce.com and download our free Men's Divorce Source app available on the App Store for the latest divorce news and resources. Cordell & Cordell, a partner men can count on.